Welcome to the Fast Forward Podcast, a series dedicated to answering the challenges that keep entrepreneurs awake at night. I'm your host, Patricia Keating. We've covered a variety of financial subjects on this podcast over the last couple of months. Everything from equity funding, debt funding. But today I want to specifically look at angel investment. And I hope by the end of this podcast, you'll be in a much better position to understand if angel investment is the right path for you. And if it is, how to go about finding it and finding those business angels. With me today is Martin Avison, founder at Angel Grips, a funding platform that introduces businesses looking for investment to a range of high net worth individuals. Welcome, Martin. Thank you. We like to start a podcast by finding out a little bit about the, the person in the chair, you know, why you're the person that's here talking to us about any particular subject. So, Martin, can you tell us a little bit about your background and your role at Angel Grips? Yeah, of course. Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity. Uh, so, my background is I'm a, uh, I've now raised millions in investment, uh, in debt, uh, and grant funding, so it's not. I don't just look at funding early stage businesses as Angel as being the only solution. What we have to do is often a blended solution of different financial products. Mm-hmm. So because of that, that's what we look at as a, an organisation. We're not just here to recommend Angel. So during this conversation, you may find me saying things that you may find slightly <laughs> weird as to why am I not just suggesting Angel's the only solution. What you've got to do is find the best solution for you as a business, as a founder. And that takes a little bit of time to understand those different options. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm 54 years of age, uh, and I saw a problem, really, in the angel investment community that most of the angel investment groups that are out there, and there's some great ones out there, uh, they're all after shares in your business. I'm not. So I don't work for the investor, even though we've got hundreds of them. My job is to work with and support the business, because you are the guys that are going through a process that's alien to you. You've, you've never experienced it before. You, you, you don't know what to expect. Maybe you don't quite understand dilution. You don't understand some of the terms in what a shareholder agreement looks like. And my job is to help and guide you through that process. So tell us a bit about um, Martin before Angel Grips. What, how did you end up in, in, in the financial services field? I started out life as an illustrator graphic designer. My claim to fame being as I illustrated Charles and Diana's wedding stamps. Uh, but we did stamps for everybody. So it was a... They weren't special. Who are they? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I moved from there into sales, really, into print. I ended up being a group sales director in a large print group. And uh, it got bought out by a big VC. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't want to work for a big VC. So I went out consulting really around sales and growth for some larger organizations. And soon as I realized uh, that how much I could grow businesses, my challenge was, well, I'm putting a pressure on working capital. So I now needed to address that problem. Mm. So I started raising money and the absolute game changer in my life, I raised uh, one and a half million through a, a, one of the forerunners probably the forerunner in angel investment in the UK, uh, which is a company called Archangels based up in Edinburgh. And I had 15 people in a room. I was raising one and a half million pounds and I got to the end of the pitch. And this isn't normally what happens, just in case anybody's <laughs> listening to this one. Uh, somebody raised a glass of wine and said, we're in. Now, I'll be honest with you, we did expect them to be in because we'd got the chairman of Scottish Widows, of RBS, of Lloyds Banking Group, 
these were top 15 individuals giving us £100,000 each. Mm -hmm. So uh, we came to the end of the pitch and uh, I went up to the Governor of the Bank of Scotland, Bill, and said, uh, thank you for your 100000 And he said to me, no problem, Martin, tell me what do you do? <laughs> and I said, that's a, that's a very strange question, that, Bill. I says, do you often give £100,000 to someone without knowing what they do? And he says, absolutely, all the time. Uh, so I said, uh, okay. And he says, if you go around this room, he says, I guarantee you, they won't know what you do. So being an entrepreneur, because that's what I am, just like you guys listening to this at the moment, I thought to myself, okay, well, I'll go and I'll find out. So I did. And then I came back to Bill and I says, okay, so what just happened? Because two of you seem to have a vague idea as to what we do. But you've just given me one and a half million pounds. I said, so what was the process that just happened that I'm not party to? So he said, well, the thing is, Martin, that probably none of the people in this room understand technology, but every one of us understand a great team. He says, and you are part of a fantastic team. And I have to say that's one core aspect of raising money. People invest in people. Yeah, and I'll come to that. I'll mention that probably several times as we go through this process. But And that that was the thing that changed my life, that conversation with Bill. I ended up mm. going to do a master's in angel investment. And then I wanted to come up with something that was slightly disruptive. Then that was happening back in 2008. The investment world, you couldn't raise well. the money for a pack of crisps. <laughs> you really couldn't. Uh, so I went to work for a very large organisation around innovation grant funding. Uh, which was what was Framework Programme 6 and 7 at the time. It's now called Horizon 2020 mm -hmm. uh, and Innovate UK. So we yeah. were doing a lot of big grant funding applications. And I realised there was a co-investment model there uh, where we could use the two with angel investment, bringing in things like R&D tax credits, basically so that we could look at the whole funding landscape, de-risk it for the investor, make sure the business doesn't dilute as much, uh, and that was my inspiration for creating what I've done, which is the moment we have eight groups across the north of England, but we are now franchising our model and our plan is to have mm. certainly in excess of 80 groups across England by the time we've finished. Um, you touched on a really interesting point there about the uh, grant funding, because I know quite often Innovate UK are now looking for match funding from um, from founders or from startups when they're uh, applying for that. Because um, they like to have make sure that they've got skin in the game, I think is what they call it. Indeed. But let's get into the nitty gritty of what we're here to talk about: angel investing. Um, let's assume that I'm uh, I'm a, a start out uh, entrepreneur and I've been sort of I've launched my product and I am thinking about scaling it, but I don't have any money. And somebody has mentioned this to me, but I have no idea what it is. Explain for the listeners what exactly is angel investing. I don't say this to appear in any way patronising, but just to explain the difference firstly between debt mm -hmm. uh, and investment, just yeah. so that, because people I appreciate listening, <clears throat> maybe at different stages on their journey. So debt is what you take from a bank, from a lender. Uh, they want to secure an asset against it and you will pay it back over time. And they're in the job of providing money. Investments, people are buying shares in your business. You're not giving them away. Please don't use that phrase. I hear it too often. Yeah, people are buying shares in your business. So they buy a piece of paper. Uh, and uh, if the company goes wrong, as with debt, they come back for your asset. With equity, they don't. Yeah, it's risk capital. Mm -hmm. So 
that's a decision that you have to make as a founder, what you're looking for. Can you, do you want debt and to service debt or do you want equity? Then if you look at equity, there are two forms of equity, broadly speaking. There is passive money, which is crowdfunding. So you're going out for crowdfunding. Thousands of people can maybe invest relatively small amounts of money in some cases, sometimes large amounts. And what they're doing is then they're, they're, they're funding the business, but it's cash. It's yeah. just money. I'm not about providing money. I'm about providing smart money, which basically means when somebody comes to me, I find them somebody that can help them within their supply chain. Someone that's got knowledge, that's got contacts, that's got expertise. So we're not just about providing money. And it goes back to the point that I was mentioning at the beginning about Bill. It's having those great teams. And if you can't afford or can't, how do I pull that team together? Well, part of that angel community is bringing that team together to make it better. So fundamentally, angel investment is about smart money. And who are these angels? Like, are they... Um you know, you hear about them sort of hiding out in the long grass. Who, like, who are they and um, how do you go about finding them? Oh, that's my job, I suppose, how I find them. Now, you suppose you're asking me the question, how does the business find them? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I'd say is uh, take your time. Uh, due diligence is a two-way process. Just like they're looking at you as a business, you should be looking at them. Because if it's not, just about cash, which is the premise of my argument, then it's about what they're going to bring, mm. then spend time with them. Ask them what other businesses they've invested in. Go and see the other businesses that they've invested in. See how they react, what, what that looks like when you actually go in the door. If everybody puts their head down, then, well, that's going to tell you a story, isn't it, when they walk in the room? But if everybody, somebody shouts across the room, hey, Jim, we stuffed you at football last night, <laughs> then it's a completely different feel. So... Uh, how you go about it is you probably come to someone like us because we've got hundreds of angel investment because the idea, what we're doing is we're vetting the business. So the first thing an angel investor says to me is they don't want to speak to the company. They phone me and say, tell me about this business because they need it to come from a trusted source. They don't want the job of doing what I do, which is filtering, working with, supporting with and helping the business grow. What they want to do at this moment in time is they just want the good ones to come through to them so they can make a decision. Mm. And who are these people that have this money and how much money do they typically have? We touched it, I mentioned it in the introduction, like high net worth. So, like, yes, yeah, no, absolutely. Mean? So there are two types of investors. We have both as uh, described by the FCA. One is a high net worth individual and the other is a sophisticated investor. Uh, the, the definitions are slightly different. Uh, but they're, they're everybody you can imagine. I've got investors in their late 30s, 40s, 50s. The majority, I'd say, are in their 50s, uh, into their 60s, 70s. I've even got investors in their, in their 80s. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're from professional backgrounds, they're from engineering, they're from technology, they're from every sector that you can imagine. They're all investing uh, for a return, but they also want to do good. They also want to see the next generation come along, they want to help support them, they want to mentor them, they want to guide them. And I'd say that there is no lack of money out there to invest in good companies. I'd say there's none. If you're good, yeah, then you will get investment. The problem is, is that you've got to be able to communicate that. 
And I, a lot of businesses yeah. fail to do that properly. They just don't act, they can't articulate what they've got. They spend too much time talking about the tech rather than about every aspect of the business hmm. and really the team. I come back to that point again, but people deliver results, not products, not services. It's the founders, it's the people that actually take that, that inspiration and make it happen. So uh, range of, angels are a range of different people, range of different age, ages, and they're all looking for different things. And I've got angels that would invest, as, as I've found, uh, one and a half million pound into one business because his investment strategy is he wants to be a chairman. He doesn't want to work with lots of companies yeah. and he really can help that business. And then I've got people just using SEIS up and EIS allocations. We'll explain that. <laughs> we'll come on to that one later, absolutely. A crucial subject though. Uh, and they're just using their allocations up. Yeah. So they're putting in 25,000, 50,000, relatively smaller amounts of money. But what they're doing is they're backing another angel who'll be the lead who's backing you. So is that the advantage then of using the angel investors is that they're active? Is that the difference between crowdfunding and, and angel investing? And is that the only advantage? Is that acti that active interest that they take in their investments? Uh, it's, it's not kind of the only advantage. I mean, running a business, uh, and I don't know how many people are going to be listening to this, uh, and I know this myself, running a business is a lonely place. Mm. You you know, some days you're doing all the things that you're trying to do, but you can't get on with running the business for the things, the day-to-day -day mundane stuff that's happening in the business. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes what these angels do, and is it an angel? Sometimes other people can give you this as well, but it's just helping you bring some clarity to what you're doing. Just to stop you doing the things that are non-productive, to get into the things where you can make the most of the value that you've got at that moment in time. And what other advantages do angel investors bring? We had um, a really interesting chat, I think, earlier with um, the founders of TechX and the, part of their kind of strategy has always been surrounding themselves by, you know, smart people who have yeah. sort of been there and done that. Um, would you agree with that? Uh, very much, which, as I say, it comes back to the comment right at the beginning uh, about Bill. It's about the team. It's about having good people around you. Uh, there's a downside to that. I, I, I would want to warn you against that. I do see a lot of slide decks now where people put up, they've got a range of different advisors and people supporting them. So one of the first questions an angel investor would ask is, if all these people are supporting and helping, why aren't they investing? Mm. And so there's, there can be a negative message that comes out of too many people around you because it just shows a lack. They've not maybe got confidence if they're not doing it. So yeah. maybe one or two, uh, but... It's about building the team, uh, the angels. It's about, yes, it's about cash and it's about the support. So seeking an angel investment, it isn't necessarily the first right step for every startup. It's not a, you know, a sequential necessarily for everyone. When is a, a good time for an entrepreneur to pitch for funding and when should they be looking at angels? Oof. Pitch for funding or pitch for support. So we allow people not just to pitch for funding, but to pitch to find that mentor, to pitch to find that potential chairman that can help shape them. And what happens quite often with us is somebody will come in a room, I will have introduced them to some people beforehand, and we will then 
they will t go away with the business. They will support the business. They will help them shape their strategy, maybe some commercial routes, make some introductions, make the business more robust, in so doing increase its value, and then bring them back to the group and say, okay, not only is this business now ready to go, but I'm prepared now to put in 100,000, 150, or whatever mm. the figure happens to be. And then the other angels in the room are now not just liking the business, but they're backing the angel, backing the business. And how much money do uh, angels typically uh, invest? Is there, a, a, you know, I think you mentioned a few n numbers there earlier, but is there a sort of a typical, typical expectation and can you have more than one, more than one angel? More than, well, uh, I, I'm a big one on the research of this. I, I, I've actually sat on the UK Business Angel Association's technical committee. Uh, I've, I think I've written, I've co-authored four or five of their due diligence policy documents. Uh, so uh, we've been very much always promoted syndication, mm -hmm. uh, which is three, four, five angels. What you don't want is, and please, if, if you don't take anything else from this podcast, yeah, you don't want to be dealing with five or six angels. Individually. Individual. Individual. They will drive yeah. you nuts. <laughs> Absolutely nuts. You've got five or six successful people who've all got strong opinions. Yeah, we don't want that. It just It'll take forever. Yeah. You get yourself a lead. Five deal with the lead and you deal with the lead. Yeah, otherwise you'll, 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 you'll be grey as I am uh, yeah, in no time whatsoever. It's, it's just a hard thing. Too many cooks. Yeah. Um, so that, and that is the definition of a syndicate. It's a group of um, high net worth or sophisticated investors that have come together and pool their resources and then make decisions collectively. Is that right? Correct, yeah. So basically uh, the different angels usually will all bring a... People all bring a different life lens to a problem. Yes, so I look at a problem a particular way, which is usually sales and market focused. Yeah. Someone else will bring in a operational based focus. Someone else is a purely financial focus. And that's, again, what we're looking from the angels for. How can you build that team? And as part of this, and uh, as I say, my job is to work for the business, not the investor. So get them to commit as part of the agreement of how much time they're going to give you. Yeah, I want that down in black and white. You are going to give yeah. me one day a week, one day a fortnight, whatever it happens to be. Now, it tends to, in fairness, pale off over time. So the first six months, people can give a lot of value. But once they've shown you how to improve your operations, well, they can't do it twice, can they? <laughs> so it's kind of incremental improvements. So your involvement may pale off gradually over time, but you want that core one or two angels around you Grey hair, people that can have been there, done it, made mistakes. Don't ever think that theirs was a straight path to riches. It wasn't. And what they can do is stop you making the same mistakes they did. Just by being older. It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, that is it. You know, good experience all comes from bad experience, doesn't it? It does indeed. <laughs> it does indeed. And those lead angels then, how are they decided upon? Is that uh, something that they, do they create their own syndicates or is it a collective decision or does the lead angel change depending on the you know the investments that they're considering how does that all work so in our process what we do is uh, we closely segment our angels on registration so we automatically our systems tell us when a business registers on our platform which angels have got the criteria that would maybe best fit mm -hmm. now our angels don't always like that because what they say is they invest in people so they don't want to be pigeonholed just because they're an expert in operations and you want somebody in operations. Yeah. Because that person may invest in something completely alien 
because they're like the founder. And sometimes they have a passion around a certain kind of technology, don't they? From a they have personal... a passion from a prop. They understand the problem. They understand the sector, uh, and uh, so they buy into you as an individual. Mm. Yes, they buy into the sector, and uh, they buy into. So there's three core things that an angel's looking for when you pitch. Okay, this is a pitch, and when you pitch. I can do a, I could do a three hour podcast on how to pitch, but when you pitch, <laughs> we might bring you back for that. <laughs> please do, please do. So when you actually pitch to a room full of angels, uh, don't put the kitchen sink and everything up on a slide. It's about you. I would actually say that ninety percent of the decision to go to the next stage, not to give you your investment, to go to the next stage is: Do I like you? Do I trust you? So this week I had a pitching session in Leeds uh, down with our partners BDO. We had 24 angels in the room. We had four businesses pitching. Uh, the last guy that pitched, he was so honest. He's got his heart on his sleeve. And he went out of the room and everybody just said, well, it really wouldn't matter what he did. It just wouldn't matter. You'd invest in him. yeah, And you would invest in him because he was just so Believable. That's not to say the others weren't good. In fact, syndicates were already forming before we left the room on a couple of the others. But that guy was just, as an individual, he was inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. And it just was so investable. You mentioned there about syndicates forming in the room. So a syndicate doesn't necessarily, isn't a, per- a permanent arrangement between an exclusive group. They can sort of, part. you could be an angel and you could be involved in maybe three different syndicates on one-off investments and three different... So my role and the role of our technology is to basically bring uh, angels together with similar passions or experiences. So I can have an angel in Lincoln mm. syndicating with an angel in Harrogate uh, because I've got that data and my, my technology tells me that. Uh, and then I can introduce them together so that they can decide to invest. Okay. But people often do syndicate in groups uh, because they know each other, they trust each other, sure. and they've worked together as a team themselves. Okay, yeah. So what are the kind of um, the investment strategies that angels are deploying then? So what kind of things are they looking for? What kind of strategies do they deploy? Because obviously founders do the same thing. They need to have an investor strategy, but what about on the angel side? It's absolutely crucial that founders have an investment strategy. I can uh, write books on how people have done it wrong. Uh, you, you've got to understand dilution. Uh, and I do talks all over the country, and hey, the free, come and join us, uh, just around investment readiness and how what it looks like, not from an angel point of view, from a business point of view. I'm there to stop people making those mistakes. But uh, uh, angels, what do they have as an investment strategy? It astounds me. When I did my master's, I went out and I spoke to a number of investment groups and I said, so guys, how do we value a business? And the first six said pretty much the same thing to me. Oh, boogered if we know, Martin. <laughs> uh, and I said, what? Well, I think that's the honest answer. There's no, there's, there's no mathematical formula. I said, there's, there's, you don't have anything in place to actually... This says, no, it really is. It's the founder, maybe the opportunity. It's a gut feel. Yeah. Uh, there's a range of different things that come into it. Have they got it. some customers? Have they... But individually, I've seen investors do some some crazy things where the angel investment is the only form of funding, the only form of funding that I'm aware of that isn't rules-based. You go to a bank, it's rules. 
You go to a VC, it's rules. You go for grants, it's rules. You go for debt, it's rules. Why? Because the people are giving you someone else's money. And angels giving you their money. They don't have to answer to anybody. Mm. Because of that, they all have their own individual process. I have angels that will say to me, take no notice of the financial forecasts at all. What I do is I sit down with them and I generate them with them. That way, that's my due diligence. I understand the business. Other people, I've got angels who will say, I'll go and sit in their business for a month. I will make the tea. I will do whatever they want to do. And I'll get to really understand the guys. Now, that's great for the business as well because they can get to understand the investor. But the vast majority of people uh, have a level of due diligence. Uh, What they're looking for is... There are two fundamental ways. So one is under this SEIS-EIS scheme. We're going to talk about it shortly, I know yeah. that. And that's rules-based. Uh, and it's not their rules, it's HMRC's rules. So if you're going to invest along those schemes, you've got to follow a set of rules. Or you don't go down that route, and therefore everybody can be a lot more creative as how that deal might look, how an exit might look, Uh Everybody can be a lot more creative and therefore it's up to the investors. But I've known investors and I can give you many instances of this where an investor's just gone into a business that I've introduced them to and then they phone me two weeks later and they say, oh yeah, I I saw they didn't have much cash in the business so I I gave them 50,000 there and then and we'll sort it later. That's a nightmare. Please never take money from anybody. I know you may need it. Don't take it without an agreement. That is, it's a nightmare. Please don't. But... You get a real range. People that want to know everything, people who just yeah. go with the heart, the gut, basically because they believe in you. So you mentioned um, SEIS and EIS. Um, so let's get into that rules-based um, angel style of investment. Let's do SEIS first. What does it stand for and um, how does it work? Okay, so this is the Seed Entrepreneurs Investment Scheme. Uh The benefit of Seed Entrepreneurs Investment Scheme uh, is that it's there to encourage investment into earlier stage, riskier businesses. And when you say early stage, um, because we've learned today that can mean a whole bunch of stuff. So what do you mean? When we say earlier stage, we mean less than two years trading. And trading is the important word there. You may have gone two years in developing a piece of software or whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah, but you may not have traded. So it's two years from the day you start trading. Which is your first invoice. Basically, it's when commercially you start putting money through the bank accounts. Yeah. So at that point, you've got two years in which to bring in seed. Uh, Now, it's really important that you see, and you're the people that have got to apply for this, not the angel. It's the company that applies. So they changed the rules on this last year, and it was a lot easier, but HMRC came out to... Uh, speak to the industry, had a conversation with myself and they said, uh, look, when we first set this up, the idea wasn't that we'd got hundreds of people doing these applications and now this has become a real cost burden. So they wanted to just kind of tighten up their policy. And now what they're saying is you've got to name your investors to get advanced clearance. Well, they don't have to be your investors. You can actually name a group like us that's actually doing it on your behalf. Okay. But you don't need advanced clearance. People do this, you know, it's not an, it's not a legal requirement. It's not a requirement for people to get their SEIS relief at the other end. It has to take place, yeah, but it doesn't have to take place now. But it does give comfort, a lot of comfort, 
to the angel investor this meaningless piece of paper from HMRC that basically is quite vague if you've ever seen one, but it, it doesn't. it's not 100% guaranteed. And it can't be because the business may have changed by the time the people invest their money. And I think that's, um, I think it is that kind of investor confidence. They want to know that the money there, if somebody's telling them that it's going to be SEIS protected, um, that they they like that kind of assurance. 87% of all deals have either SEIS or EIS attached to them. That is not just through my group. That's the statistics coming out of the UK Business Angel Association. So if your two companies and you're both looking for investment, and the only difference between the both of you, one has it and one doesn't, yeah, well, the guys with it are going to get it every day of the week. Mm. Why wouldn't they? But SEIS, so what does SEIS mean? What does it mean from an investor's point of view? So uh, the most you can raise as a business is £150,000 under SEIS. The most an investor can invest is 100000 under SEIS. So if you're raising SEIS... You've got to have two investors by default. Yeah. So if I can invest £100,000, what does that mean to me? Now, the key point is I've got to be a higher rate taxpayer to get the majority of the benefit from this. Okay. So if I'm not a higher rate taxpayer, I can still be a high net worth. Maybe I'm retired and I'm not working, so I'm not paying tax. So I've got a number of high net worths that they don't care whether you're SEIS. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, so if you're a business that doesn't qualify, we need to find the guys who are maybe... Above that. Above that threshold, the guys who are not paying tax because it doesn't matter to them. Yeah. So if I invest £100,000, I'm getting £50,000 back on my next year's tax bill. Automatically, regardless. I've got to get it back. It's next year. There's a form yeah. I've got to complete and I've got to submit. Yeah. But providing it's all approved by HMRC and you follow the process and procedures, please... Use a professional firm to do it. If your accountant says, I don't know how to do this, but I'll look into it, they're the wrong accountant. (laughs) Yeah. Get yourself good legal and good accountancy service. Yeah. It's absolutely crucial if you're going to be a high growth business. And so that from an angel's point of view, they put in the 100,000, they fill in the appropriate paperwork, make sure that's all filed correctly. It doesn't matter how that investment does does it? If that so, if the next year that that investment is still up and running and growing and doing well, they still get the fifty thousand written off their tax bill the following year. Is that right? They get the uh, fifty thousand pounds off their next year's tax bill as long as they remain invested mm-hmm. for a period of a minimum of three years. Okay. So if the company were to exit or yeah, yeah. then they would uh, they would lose their and they would have to pay back that to HMRC. Okay. So the benefits are that you don't pay the 50,000. So you get the 50,000 pounds back, my yeah. apologies. Uh, you pay the, it, but you get it back. Yeah. Right. So you get, uh, if the company were to close, and I know we don't want that, guys, but we, we've got to look at risk mitigation here. So they can get back potentially through tax breaks about 72 to 74p in the pound. Okay. Yeah. And they don't pay capital gains tax on the upside. The there's some deferral mechanisms there. It's not the point of a podcast. It's way mm. too technical. But uh, there's some real benefits in there to actually investing through SEIS. Okay. So they get 75% of the other 50000 back if it fails. If it fails. Okay. So they're only risking maybe 25 26p in the pound. Yeah. Now, mm. uh, a lot of businesses, when they're pitching, for some reason, they seem to want to put this information on the slide as if the investor doesn't know about it. You don't <laughs> need to bother. I assure you, they all know about it. Okay. They all know about it. 
So it depends on where the, the company's raised. So if this is uh, a startup's first raise, they're looking for 200,000. Um, 150 of that they can raise uh, with SEIS and they need to they need to target two angels to get that. And those two angels then will basically be guaranteed to get 75% of their investment back regardless of the outcome. As, as long as they keep following the rules under yes. of, uh, HMRC. Follow the rules, good accountants, as long as that's all right. Yeah. Okay. Sounds like a no-brainer. Uh, do you know most of my angels actually describe it as just that? They actually say, we can't understand why everybody doesn't do this. I wish I had some money. <laughs> uh, uh, not a higher rate ta- taxpayer, so <laughs> there's another flaw. Um, okay, so we've we've cracked SEIS. That sounds like a no-brainer. Uh, investors, high net worth, sophisticated investors, if you're not already doing it, get stuck in. Um, you'll be helping a whole bunch of new uh, entrepreneurs and follow the rules. EIS, what's the difference? So that's... Entrepreneurs Investment Scheme. So EIS was established first. Okay. Uh, uh, SEIS is relatively new in the great scheme of things. So SEIS uh, is for companies who've been trading more than two years, less than seven years. Yeah. You can raise much larger amounts through EIS, uh, but you're only going to get 30% back offset against your tax. Why? Because it's less risky. Now, why why have HMRC actually done this in the first place? Because how else are we going to fund all these great ideas that you guys have got? So we can't go to a bank because that's not a bank's role. I, I appreciate a lot of people enjoy bank batching. I, I don't understand that. That's To me, that's madness. A bank is a commercial entity. It's not there as a charity. It's got to make a commercial return itself, and we need it to as a, as a, as an, as a country. Every country must have a great banking system. They're not there to invest in early-stage companies. Mm-hmm. That's not their job. So HMRC, their role, and the British Business Bank, who looks on high over all this, is to look at funding gaps within the market and say, how do we plug it? How do we, make, how do we fund what an SME economy, after all? How do we get more new great SMEs coming up, giving us competitive advantage? But what we do is we give tax breaks to make angels invest. And when does EIS kick in? Can you so it, from can, the from the beginning, or do you do the first hundred and fifty under the other scheme, and then after that, or what well, way? It really depends how long you've been trading. Okay. So fair if you've enough. been trading more than two years, you've got yeah. to go into EIS. Uh, even if you want one hundred and fifty thousand, you've still got to go into the EIS scheme because you've been trading too long. Yeah. Uh, so. If you've been trading more than two years, but less than seven, you're going into EIS. Yeah, you can raise millions through EIS. Mm -hmm. They have brought a new rule out recently for people who are knowledge intensive, which allows you to go beyond the seven years time frame for companies who are, and that might apply to a number of you. So you'll be able to keep that EIS going. But the rules around it are really quite complicated. And I I wouldn't overly worry, but I wouldn't sweat the detail over it. The point is, is that, that they're there, the angels especially if they're belonging to a, a reasonable group syndicate. We run a lot of angel educational sessions where we teach our angels about all this stuff. It's important that uh, it's an important driver for them that these tax breaks are there. So you need to have it. You need to have it. If, if it's available, yeah. it really is worthwhile getting. And how many times can you raise on EIS if you're in that two-year bracket? Uh, you can keep on raising. It's the, it's the amounts then that you, determines uh, how much you can raise. Okay. Uh, uh, so on average, angel investment, again, I'm plugging in research here, but on average, people go through 4.3 rounds of investment. 
Okay. So one of the challenges, and I go back to you about your investment strategy, is you've got to understand your strategy. And the most important thing that I would say is you must have a clear vision and a clear way that you're going to exit. Because only by having a clear destination, you wouldn't go down to an airport to go on holiday without knowing where you were going. <laughs> it just would be madness. So how can you be a business without knowing your final destination? Now, granted, you may not end up quite where you think you're going, yeah, but you must have a place to aim for. You must have a goal, and that will, is also part of your validation. So the first thing I did, because just like you guys, I'm an entrepreneur. When I actually started out my business, I didn't spend money on patents, trademarks, software, anything. That's the wrong way to set up a business. I validated the exit. So I drew it up on a series of schematics. I met a number of angel investors. They gave me all their thoughts. I went to see a company that would buy the kind of business that I will end up owning, and I told them the value I wanted for that business. He said to me, who's going to buy it? I said, you are. <laughs> he burst out laughing. He says, it's the kind of thing we would buy, Martin. Now, what I wanted to do is I wanted to validate that destination. I didn't want to get there and find out it wasn't what yeah. I wanted it to be because what a waste of time, money and effort that would be. you know. So we need that plan. We need that vision as founders so that when we get there, it's what we want it to be. That sounds like a great piece of advice to validate the exit. Um, we normally like to wrap up with, with some key pieces of takeaway for the for the listening uh, entrepreneurs. So if that's your first one, what other kind of top uh, tips would you like them to take away from today? I could probably give you a hundred. Uh, yeah, validate the exit, put a plan together. You must have an investment strategy. You, you really, really must understand the funding landscape and how it's going to impact on you personally. Yes, the other investors, but people come to me and they'll say to me, I want seven, eight hundred thousand. And I'll look at them and I think, no, you don't. And they'll go, yeah, I do. And I'll go, no, really, you don't. And let me show you what happens to dilution if you go for one lot of 800 or two lots of 400. And it opens their eyes as the difference that they can save in their own equity stake. So you need a plan. You've got to put a plan together. Yeah. The other thing is uh, you've got to be investor ready. So one of the things we spend a lot of time with our businesses before they go in the rooms is making them investor ready. And I always say entrepreneurs speak French, funders speak German, and my job is to interpret. And the number of times that people will say to me, yeah, but Martin, we're ready. And then I look at their pitch deck and I think, you're a mile away from ready. Yeah. You may be ready from your perspective, but that's not what they want to hear. So people are saying no. And I speak to other investment groups and they'll only do a handful of investments a year. We're doing a lot of investments. And the reason we do a lot of investment is because... We prepare the business so that the angel can say yes or no, but for the right reason. And we see a lot of businesses that people have said no to, and they've said no, not because they're not great, it's because they can't articulate great. Mm. And our job is to make sure that we do. So that was a long way down to your second point. <laughs> the next thing that I would say is, uh, so we've, we've got this validate the exit, absolutely crucial. Put yourself an investment strategy together. The third one is, Take time with your investor. Don't rush it. Yeah, it's it's like a marriage if it goes wrong. Yeah, and it, it's terrible to get out of. 
It really is complicated, it's messy, and it's hard. So take your time. Go see their other businesses they've invested in, get to know them, go for a beer. Because <laughs> once people have had a drink, they relax. You get to know the real person that you sat in front of. Spend some time. It's not a one-way process. And if they're, if they're not right for you, be confident enough to walk away. Yeah? Be confident enough. Uh, because, believe me, you don't want to get it wrong. So point number four, he took a big breath as I was saying that one because I'm, uh, I, as I say, I've That's got okay. so many. So yeah. the other thing is, is that I know we said we could talk about pitching and I'd, I'd love to do just an hour's talk just on how to pitch just to give you the detail. But when you're actually talking to these people, yeah, the best thing you can do is be prepared. Give them the courtesy of being prepared because... <clears throat> What people tend to do in a pitch, firstly, you've got to understand the location. Is it a room that's going to have 60 people? Is it going to have 10 people in it? Uh, the size of text that you're putting up on your screen. You, it's fundamentally, it's about you. I'd almost say it's, you can't get rid of your slide deck, yeah? But I'd almost say it's, it's very secondary to you talking, yeah? But if I can use an analogy that I could leave you with just over the pitching... It's one of diluted orange juice. So you get yourself a glass and you pour yourself an inch and a half, two inches of diluted orange juice and you've got yourself a very powerful thing. But the more water you add, the more content in the case of a presentation, the weaker that message gets. It doesn't get stronger. So please stop boring us <laughs> with pages and pages and pages of information. It really doesn't work. If you actually interviewed the investors when they went out the room and you said to them, because most of the pitching sessions we run will have four businesses pitching. And if you interviewed them and you said to them, how many points do you remember about that business? Four, five. So determine what your four or five points are that's important. Tell me what you're going to tell me, tell me it, and then tell me what you've told me. Yeah, nail those five key points. Just make sure that I've left that room fully understanding what differentiates you from anybody else. And don't give me 30 pages on tech. Yeah, because all you're doing is diluting that message. Yeah, all you're doing when you're pitching is you're pitching to go to the next stage. You're not pitching for investment. All you're doing is going to the next stage in a process. And that fundamentally is three things from an angel perspective. Do we like you? Is this a good solid proposition? Can I help? And can I make a difference? And then the third one is, what's in it for me? Which in itself is a crucial thing because what they've got to turn around and say is, do I invest 100,000 there or 100,000 there? And if it's not attractive, should I just go keep playing golf and go on a holiday six times mm. a year? We've got to make it worth the while. You're buying that experience. And that in itself increases your valuation. I could probably give you another 30 tips, but the uh, team, I go back to my story with Bill and, I tell you the incident, what just happened with us the other day, and it happens all the time. So when people pitch with us, what we do is we then run a separate session where the business comes back in for three hours just on their own. And we had one the other day, uh, and we brought a founder of a great tech company. We brought them in. We had three hours. We got them to leave the room then while we discussed them. And all the investors in the room just turned around and said the same thing. She is investable. They said, yeah, get the product, love what she's doing. But wow, she's investable. 
And she'd got a great team already started around her. Yeah. So get those good people around you, get that great support. Uh, but it, it comes down to you guys and very best of luck, very best of luck. But if you've got some questions you want to ask, by all means, reach out to me. You'll find me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your expertise and advice with us and the listeners. Uh, Martin, we hope that has answered some of those burning questions around uh, angels and some of the nuances around the investment and how they how they invest. Um, we welcome your feedback and comments. And if you do want to um, message Martin either through his LinkedIn or through the iTunes and SoundCloud platforms where you'll find this podcast. Um, but for now, we hope that you um, will get a better night's sleep. Thank you.